Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode nine of the podcast. Now, it's been a little while between episodes, but we're back with one that was one of the most open and honest chats we've ever had, and definitely a lot to be taken away from this one. Today, we talk with musical theatre actor and musician Josh Pitterman. Now, Josh is a Melbourne fellow who has an impressive resume, having played a heap of lead roles and toured the world performing as a singer and actor. Alongside this, a huge part of Josh's life is mental health awareness, mindfulness, and having real experiences with people and nature. And Josh really walks the walk on this, because he's an ambassador for Entertainment Assist, a mental health support service for people in the arts, he's a meditation instructor, and most of all, he offers himself in support and as a friend to anyone who needs it. This one really is an incredible chat, and we're very grateful to Josh for joining us, and we hope you all enjoy. Lastly, Murph and I are doing Movember with our partners in men's mental health awareness, Mendel. We've teamed up this month to grow moustaches, and we're very excited to be able to contribute to an incredible cause. You'll be able to find links in our Instagram bio and on Facebook to donate, both to Murph and I. So if you're impressed by a decent moustache, you're able to donate to me. And then, of course, if you feel bad for someone who can't really grow a moustache, you can donate to Murph. Either way, it's a great cause through a great charity that are doing some amazing things for men's mental health. Please enjoy our chat with Josh Peterman. Conversations can make big differences. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Men of Words podcast. My name's Michael. Very uh, glad to be back here in our little little studio, sitting next to in person. That we're very grateful about, uh, Mr. Liam Murphy. Murph, we're back. Mickey Muff, Michael <laughs> Blue Eyes. Shaved noggin, oh, yeah. in person. All the rest. Socially distanced, but in person. That's the most important thing. And mate, that's yeah, right. it's been a it's been a long year in many ways, but I think the, the biggest thing I've missed is being able to sit down next to you and have this interaction pre and post and our chats and yeah. I've missed you, mate. It's been, it's great to great to be here nah, next to you. Ditto, bro. Ditto. Hundred percent. Super stoked to be back and 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 what an awesome excuse to be sitting next to each other once again to jump back on the podcast and get stuck back in. I know we've sort of let the wheel spin a little bit, but we're keen to start uh, start kicking it off again and get yes. it running again, which is really awesome. Absolutely. And today, very excited because not only do we have an amazing guest that we're really excited to talk to, but our first international conversation. Men of Words goes global. I mean, how about that? Yeah, it's it's very cool, and it, this one, Muff, it's a it's a person that's come through as a nomination from Mr. Robert Mills. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very humbled to be in in his virtual presence, and hopefully one day in his physical presence. Josh Pitterman, how you going, mate? Oh, good guys. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, good to be here in freezing ass England. Yes, and recently you were just mentioning before we hit hit record. Um, recently moved down to the coast in in England. So, you, do you want to explain where you are now as well? Because yeah, first international guest. We need all the all the goss on on where you're at. <laughs> this is our vicariously living through other people <laughs> abroad at the moment because we're missing holidays so much. You know. <laughs> oh mate, you, you know Melbourne. Melbourne is now the land of the free. So you, you're in a good place. But I'm. Uh, we, me and my partner Lottie, decided to escape the um, the chaos and the throngs of, of year old London town um, for the brighter pastures and 
wintry waters of Brighton, which is about a one-hour commute into the centre of London. So it's sort of akin to being in the G-Town. Yeah, Geelong. But we're literally right on the beach. Like, look out the window. Not this room, the other room. (laughs) (laughs) And you get the the water. So there's something really nice to waking waking up to to Mother Earth out there. How good is that? We know... Straight off the bat, Muff is obsessed with his, his ocean time, and mm. I am too. So it's definitely probably a lot colder in the in the water over there. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Muff would be um, jumping in the water as as freely and yeah, readily as be, as he yeah. is here. But well, do you guys go by Muff and Murph? Muff and Murph. Yeah, that's right. Oh, good. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so lock that one in. More than uh, more than happy to run with that. Josh, this is a pretty exciting conversation. We, um, you know, in our last chat that we did with Mr. Rob Millsy Mills, who obviously, I mean, had nothing but good things to say about you. And even just before we started chatting, you're obviously singing his praises. And yeah, we'd obviously want to give him a big shout out too for putting us in touch. He really, I guess, uh, as far as the podcast goes, definitely sort of opened us up to the world of musical theatre, and that is very much your domain. And I, um, and yeah, and that's definitely you know something we're really excited to sort of explore um, for yourself, and and I guess dig into the you know the journey behind um, yeah behind where you've got yourself to now. In um, in some ways, and even I think by Millsy's measure as well the pinnacle of uh, of musical theatre in obviously in your big role in uh, The Phantom of the Opera, which is a pretty, pretty exciting thing. And I'm sure we'll get there. That's uh, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff before that that's uh, worth worth delving into. But for our um, for our guests, we always like to, I guess, try and get their version of themselves. It's a tricky thing to do. I know Murph and I are bloody terrible at it. That's why we like to impose it on uh, on the people that we're chatting to as well. But maybe that might be a nice way to sort of start off for anybody not super, uh, I guess, you know, well acquainted with the with the world of musical theatre and and obviously, you know, for a lot of our listeners and stuff that are back here at home that have had the blinders on to the rest of the world for a little while, let's um, yeah, be keen to sort of hear a bit about a uh, bit about your version of Josh Pitterman. Oh, jeez. That's really hard, guys. Um, <laughs> so, uh, look, the, you know, I recently changed the bio on the gram. Okay. That's a good way to start. Yeah, I like that. I was really sick of just being like this. I feel like there's a lot more to the soul that sings in the depths of Josh Pitterman than just playing roles in musical theatre. So I've written Creativity, Consciousness, nature meditation movement and that's probably sums me up a little bit more than just doing singing and acting for a career but that has been the bulk of my you know work life has been on stage doing various roles in different musicals I started out by being in a group called the 10 tenors traveled the world for a couple of years singing with nine other blokes and um having way too good a time as a 22 23 year old and then decided to give that away to um to you know, pursue the musical theatre dream and um, play the lead role um, Tony in West Side Story around Australia for a year. Uh, moved over to the UK, did a role in Hairspray for a year. Came back to Australia, uh, opened a gym. You know, built a business there doing that. Left that. Went and did Cats the musical for a year. Did a musical about Carol King for a year. 
you know, did a few other gigs, bits and bobs, and then um, got this gig playing the Phantom over here in the Phantom of the Opera, and that's sort of been, there you go, there's, there's a nice and quick, there's my career. And, yeah. Yeah, well, that's yeah. it. We can wrap that up there. Yeah. Thanks very much for joining us, Josh. Super appreciate it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> nah, mate, that's so cool. I honestly, I think, um, oh, like we we want to touch on all that career stuff because it is really cool. It's such, a, and it is. I mean, I think Murph and I would probably both admit to being pretty green to the musical theatre world, so it is like an interesting one for us to discuss. Murph might be about to veto me on that. Oh, one, I'm going to see veto what the absolute poopers out of you. <laughs> this okay, let's go. I and I'm gonna. I could give a shout out to Amy, to my partner, my beautiful partner, Amy. And the fact, Josh, that you just mentioned Hairspray, this is one of the funniest stories that I have of musical theatre. Only in the fact that, yes, I am very green as well, as Muff said, (laughs) in musical theatre. And this is going back to maybe second or third year of uni, I reckon. Not even. And Amy called me one night and she's like, hey, what are you doing? I was still obviously living with mum and dad. And it's like, oh, no, nothing. It's, you know, whatever night and I'm not doing anything. She's Mm -hmm. like, cool. Put your best clothes on. Um, I'm gonna. I've got a surprise for you. Put your best clothes on. Let's get really dressed up. Let's have a really nice night. I was like, oh, awesome. Sounds great. Her mum rocks up. Her sisters in the car. Mum and Amy in the car. And I was like, okay. Not not the dynamic I thought for a beautiful night out. But we'll <laughs> roll with it. Mm-hmm. Went out to dinner, and then they started walking towards one of the theatres in the Melbourne city there, and. Like okay, what's going on here? Where where am I? Where are you taking me? And Amy turned around. She's like, surprise! I've got are you a ticket to hairspray? And I sat down, yeah. and that was the one of the first musical theatre experiences I had, and I had no idea what was going on because it was all just like, I ha- yeah, because it was such a surprise at what we were doing. So I was just sitting it there is. watching this incredible <laughs> show go on, and I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Great night, though. I loved it. Yeah. But, yeah, I just wanted to vet you on that because I have been and seen Hairspray. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh, well, 100%. And, look, don't get me wrong. I totally mirror that sentiment. Like, I've been to some absolute crackers. And, I mean, that's probably an interesting sort of point to start, Josh. Like, obviously, for somebody who has, you know, a, I guess, you know, a, a big portion of their life and obviously a really big love of that, of that, of musical theatre, do you have that, like... Do you remember the first one that you went and saw that you were like, holy shit, this is awesome. Like, and I could definitely, you know, wrap my head around that. I do. Uh, well, it's in two parts because I, I remember seeing Miss Saigon when uh, I was on a family trip to London when I was about seven or eight. I don't really remember that as how it happened. But I didn't get into musicals till like really late at school. I was much more, you know, concerned with playing footy and tennis and whatever else. And um and I dated this girl right at the end of, of school and uh, we went and saw, I took her to We Will Rock You. I got tickets to my 18th to see We Will Rock You. So we went and saw that and um, we're going to get real deep real quick. So basically, I, I really held on to my virginity. But okay. like there were lots of opportunities in high school to go there and I didn't. I wanted to save for someone I really liked. I, like. So this is post-schoolies. So I didn't even... Go there at schoolies. I waited for this girl, took her to see We'll Rock You, and she was the girl. <laughs> Four days after, we we had a you know we we made love. She cheated on me. Oh Jesus! So that's my We Will Rock You 
first musical theatre experience. Jesus, experience. oh my God, that's hectic. So there we go. My my first lecturer, my main lecturer at college, I studied musical theatre, mm-hmm. said um, something to all of us really early on. She goes, 90% of musical theatre is about sex. 18, you're like, oh, what are you talking about? It's sort of true. And this story just sums it up, that they always connect and interconnect no matter what. <laughs> that was what you said to us. And, and, and honestly... We we just took the piss at the time, but um, but now when I think about it, it is all about relationships and desire, and yeah, you know that's what most most stories are about in some way, you know. So yeah, I, I could get stuck here in this in this topic, so I'm going to jump away from this <laughs> and and talk about your um your studying. So you mentioned yeah you you found theatre and musical theatre later on in your life. When you say you fo- used to focus on like sport and, and footy and tennis and that, did something happen where you were like, okay, yeah, look, I'm not cut out to play AFL or, or hit the pro tour circuit in tennis. I need to turn my attention somewhere else. Or was was it that like we will rock you sort of moment where you, you saw it and you went, oh, this is way better than what I was trying to do? I don't, I don't think I ever realistically thought I was going to play, be a professional sportsman, you know. Played first tennis at school and, um, you know, joined the lads and played thirds footy and that was we, – we didn't lose a game. It was great. Um, but uh, – It's a miracle was, season. Everyone's got one miracle season <laughs> up their sleeve somewhere that they can always bring themselves back to as like the pinnacle of their sporting career, you know. Back-to-back miracle season. <laughs> yeah, we, there's a story that's um, unfolded over the years that the only team that were close to getting us was Xavier – and um, I, I went to Wesley College and um, we were, I think, five points behind with about a minute to go. And I took a mark about it couldn't have been further than 20 out on a slight angle, 45 max, and went back and slotted it. That is That goal is a Tory from about 78, 80 metres out. <laughs> but that's how far it, it's got. It's beyond blight. Yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah. And the wind, it was a massive yeah. headwind. 70 Ks. Anyway, back to the actual question. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm good at digressing. Um, now, I got really into Michael Jackson when, like year 10 and, and learned how to moonwalk and then just was being a dick in the school calf and, and moonwalked and then I happened to be seen by the director of the school musical who said that could be used could you audition for the school musical and um to the to the despair and to the the haunting lambasting i received from my uh peers and mates um i went and auditioned and got a role and just went oh my god what have i been missing my whole life this is the attention you get from this is so far beyond kicking the winning goal against Xavier. <laughs> it, it takes, it's sort of, it's funny. If you come from that sporting background and I, I had that, I'm a very like very focused, diligent, hardworking person from a very young age. I just put that into singing. Like so much of singing before being artistic mm-hmm. is technical, especially classical mm-hmm. singing. Like it's a very technical thing. So if you do the 10,000 hours, you do get good at it, you know. Yeah, because that physicality is is right there, like even probably comparable to, you know, a lot of some professional sport as well. It's an interesting 
yeah, I guess that transition, you know, especially being a young person as well. And yeah, you gave us the uh, the quote unquote mates that were giving you nonstop grief about uh, taking a pretty big heel turn as far as um, pivoting from, you know, the sporting world into that theatre world. Was that, I mean, especially as, because you would have been, what, 16, 17, sort of when this is happening? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, was there any, I mean, obviously, surely there must have been a little bit of that, like, a bit of doubt, you know, sort of creeping in or was that, or just when you sort of, Found, once you were in it, once you sort of had taken that one step in, were you just like, nah, I'm, I'm sold. Like, I can take the insults because this is the best shit ever sort of thing? Well, you can and you can't take the insults, you know, because they, they sit with you and they really hurt. And boys don't understand that the way they talk to each other is actually really, is really painful stuff that sits with other, with other boys and sits with them into when they try to become men. So first and foremost, that shit was wrong. But um, I've always been one to just uh, happy to be a black sheep in a crowd, like just do my thing. And that, that's always been cool with me. It's not that I don't question it. Of course I question it, but I'll always do it regardless. I mean, it's a hard-hitting truth to say to yourself that I'm, this is my path, I'm on, I'm on that path, and so what if, you know, Johnny over here, who was my mate, and now he's saying this, that, and the other, okay, he's clearly not the person that I want to spend the rest of my life as a friend with. So it is a hard-hitting truth to have have faith and, I guess, trust your own instinct and own decision-making, especially as a, yeah, 16, 17-year-old. Mm. Like, you're still in your formative years as an adult. So it's, um yeah, that's a huge, huge ups to you. That's, that's a big call, and, it, and it's it's cool. And, I mean, looking back now, it's always good for hindsight to go, thank thank God, like, that was, a, that was the best decision I've made sort of thing. But... At the time, you got no idea, do you? Yeah. Oh, totally. And and the insecurities are heavy, and you're trying to prove yourself to to your mates. You go, what, what the fuck are you doing? Doing musicals? You're poofter and all this kind of shit. Like really awful stuff. Um, and so I reckon the first, you know, couple of years of doing it at school, and then first part of uni was like proving to myself and to my mates that I was this decision that I'd made on a sort of whim was actually a worthwhile one. Was it Was it cool to, what was the experience like transitioning from school into uni? So going from, you know, Wesley, for those that don't know, Wesley's got quite a proud sporting focus, I guess you would say. Like there's, you know, countless AFL professional footballers, men and women, um, professional sports people in general come from Wesley College. We were lucky enough. Sam Frost is a Wesleyan. Yeah, exactly. Um, but going from that that proud heritage of the sporting culture at school to then being the the black sheep, and then going to to college to theatre college, and and being in the crowd that they're all doing the same thing and studying the same thing. What was that transition like? Honestly, it was just so exciting to um to to feel like I've met a whole bunch of people who might be my people mm-hmm. who share in this very particular niche passion of singing, acting and dancing and wanting to communicate stories uh, on stage through that, you know, through that lens and through that vehicle. And so, yeah, it was, it was just passion. I was just, it was so much excitement, uh, I remember. And, um, you know, I, w- I was coming from a fair way behind with, with my skill set because, you know, a lot of those um, you know, a lot of the, the other students were, had been doing this from 
you know, day dot in their lives. They come from families where they've done singing and ballet and tap and whatever else since they were three, you know. Um, so I felt miles behind, but um, love that underdog feeling, love that. It's just like, you know, I'm just going to work harder than you and see what happens. And so, yeah, moving through uni there for a few years at um, studying and then you get your big break, I guess you would say, the, the 10 10 is the, the party sort of thing, like you said, you know, enjoying your, your couple of years. With that, do you want to talk us through that first, maybe the, that, that feeling of landing that first big gig sort of thing? Yeah. Well, the first gig I actually got straight out of uni was um, was singing in a um, in a show five times a day at Tokyo Disney. Cool. Okay. Wow. Nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was sort of like a Broadway jazz show with dancers and a big band and, you know, I was in a black or white tux and there was two male singers um and two female singers and um and then mickey and minnie and stuff would come out and do their little segment it was really cute cute show and um and and that that actually was for me i mean artistically probably not the most fulfilling thing but um but the training of repetition that you can't get at uni like we max out at maybe eight shows or something in a production whereas in any production that i've ever been in it's eight shows a week so you never get that repetition training, that stamina training. So doing up to five shows a day, I think it was 22 a week we did. Um, you had your two days off. You just churn through the shows. You, like your voice just gets so strong. Your, your stamina, your ability to try and keep things fresh and keep that mind going um, to make it new for this new audience every time. All those things you can't learn at uni. This was epic training. So that was about nine months of my life. And as soon as I finished that, had a month off and, and started with the 10 tenors. And so that was a different thing altogether because that was the, that was finally this sort of combination. You know, there, there was, it's a very sort of footy club mentality when I was in it. A lot of Queensland boys, a lot of rugby boys um, who had, had similar journeys to me of like pursuing sport and then moving into singing. And, and so it was like, yeah, it, it was the closest thing to being in a sports club environment and performance environment and combining the two it has a larrikin energy um about it on stage and off um you know we we partied as hard as we sung and um all around the world and it was um like you know you just use your imagination basically what happens on tour stays on tour <laughs> you know yeah lots and lots of fun um single man's game we always said <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay fair enough jumping back to the experience with um the the Disney uh, Disney World or Disneyland in in Tokyo, was that your sort of first time leaving the nest? Was that your first time living out of home and stuff like that? Like, was that sort of a big sort of independent step that you took as well as the job? Yeah, it, it, it was. I mean, I moved to study. Studying for me was in Ballarat, mm-hmm. so that was already a move. But Ballarat's like what is it, 100 k's or 120 k's or whatever. So I was back most weekends, and mm. and although I had left the nest. It was sort of part-time leaving the nest. <laughs> but I remember my dad dropping me off at the airport when I had to go to Tokyo and, and he was sort of in tears because it's like, I'm not going to see my son for, for nine months or whatever. And um, it was, yeah, that, that felt more like leaving the nest and, and being independent and, and really my first job, like professional job as an adult and, you know, earning and saving, and, you know, all, all of that. There was a lot of, I guess, yeah, it, it was... Um, it was an initiation is probably the best way to, to describe it in, mm-hmm. into adulthood. And, you know, I've done a fair bit of work on this of, of late, but, you know, there's this very much growing feeling that a lot of boys don't get opportunities to initiate into men. 
especially in Western society. And we've got a lot of men who are still boys running countries. Yeah. Mm. G'day, Donald. <laughs> um, Shout out. Yeah. Leaving home at 21 and moving to Asia and, you know, doing the thing that I trained to do was, yeah, it was, it was an initiation process. It was tough. That's a, like, it's a solid foray into independence, you know, which is, um, yeah, yeah, which is a big, it is, it's such a big step to take. And even, you know, the version of that, that, you know, like, let's say Liam or I would have taken of that back home is still such a formative thing. And you're right, like, they're just like taking on that responsibility, I think, yeah, can really maketh the man sometimes, you know, and can, um, yeah, I guess sort of separate the wheat from the chaff a little bit. Did you guys study abroad or travel or do any of that sort of stuff in your early 20s? Lots of travel, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah. yeah. I think the, I always saw, you know, that, that whole live without regret sort of thing, but the one thing I always will probably hold on to is the fact that I didn't study abroad. And I, I think I, I always wanted to, but I just mm. never bit the bullet. And that... Looking back now, it's the one thing that I I always will go, I wish I bit the bullet and studied mm. abroad for six months or a year or whatever it was. I wish I did that. Like Mark said, we've done plenty of travel together and apart as well between mm. the two of us, but yeah. And we, and we, like we've spoken about it so much in the last year or so, even just doing this podcast is, and it's such a common theme for people that have, I guess, you know, have had those independence building sort of uh, times in their lives and travel such a common component of that, you know, it really is just like, yeah, like that's, that's how you find your feet. You know, you really start yeah. to work out, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff about yourself when you're, when you're in that, in that sort of circumstance. Mm. And yeah. So yeah, no, hundred percent can see, can see how that would have been super formidable for you. Crisis and travel. They're the two things that sort men from boys. I <laughs> yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, well, I guess yeah. So j- sorry, jumping back to the 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 ten tenors, which is obviously so. Was that? I mean, I can only imagine that comparatively to your experience uh, in in Japan, that that would have been. Did did that feel a bit like rocket shippy? Were you just sort of like, was it a little bit of like, oh my god, there's a big old world out here, and like, and I'm I feel like I'm on top of the pyramid, sort of thing. Like this is really cool. <laughs> It was so cool. Like, you know, I, I, um, I, you know, I was really into that, that style of classical crossover music uh, at, at uni and listened to you know, people you guys go, who's that? Il Devo and Josh Groban. You'll know Andrea Bocelli. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, man, I know Il Devo. I know Il Devo. Groban, 100%. I'm a Grobanaut. I'm a self-professed Grobanaut, I'd say. <laughs> so so that, that style was something I was really into and, and there was no bigger group in Australia for that style than the 10 tenors. Um, and so I felt like I was joining this classical rock band and it was just, it was so, it was so cool. And I spent the first few months of it really like just trying to like prove a point and earn my stripes and, you know, and um, it was just, it was just mega. Um, I really, I really remember it. And then you find your feet, then you settle down and then it's normalized. And, and then, um, then you learn how to balance the, nightlife and the gig life. <laughs> <laughs> the, the post-show nightlife and then the... But it's a hard scene. I mean, it was a really hard scene, you know, just singing stuff as a 22, three-year-old that really you shouldn't really be singing until your 30s as a, as a tenor, like they're really, you know, robust and tough classical, singing a lot of high notes and stuff. And so you, you really live by the sword, die by the sword. I'm really glad that 
for a lot of those high notes that my mic was obviously turned off because the uh, what we call the testy blowout. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the big... <laughs> um, yeah, they, there was many of them. We still sneak a couple of those into the podcast every now and then. Yeah, by you gotta, you know? you got to keep everyone on their toes, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Like, it's a bit of, bit of those ones. Uh, you get better and you get good. And it held me in good stead to, you know, to the next part, which was, you know, obviously to play a, a lead role in a, in, a, in a big commercial musical that is classically inspired West Side Story and, mm. and requires that tenor voice and you know I wouldn't have been able to do that eight times a week if it wasn't for you know really honing the chops at uh, 10 tenors. Just the way you talk and, and we're going back so you mentioned West Side Story was back in 2010 um, and then you, you've progressed sort of I guess look at, looking into your career from from our perspective and, and looking at the, the growth and the journey across you know uh, Ten Tenors, West Side Story, you mentioned Cats earlier before, you mentioned Hairspray, of course, um, and, you know, just looking at looking at your website and, and looking at the bio that you've listed, previous work as well, um, it, it seems like you, once you sort of made that jump into the professional world that you're, you've had consistent work and there hasn't really, I mean, unless you've chosen to take time off, like you mentioned, you had a month off between um, Disneyland and, and the Ten Tenors, but unless you've chosen to take the time off, it seems like your work at work life has been quite consistent. Um, have you ever have you ever found it like hard to find that next role or take that next step to the next role? Or? Absolutely, yeah. Everything always looks easy from an outsider's point of view when when you see credits and you go, oh, in that year he's done that, and that year he's done that. And, but, you know, no one knows the internal dialogue within, the, within a man. And, um, and of course, there's been, um, you know, between 2013, I think it was August, September, when I finished I'm in Hairspray, and um, I'm not sure it was early 2015, I didn't do a musical because I was so fucking burnt out after hairspray and moving out home and I was married at the time and my marriage was suffering from my partner being in Australia and me being uh, overseas and then you know that that marriage fell apart and so there was like a whole bunch of you know really tough tough stuff there um I started I, I gave up the career for a bit and started personal training developed a fitness business and then you know really worked out why I, I missed performing and why I don't want to stop performing um, through that time of being away from it. I needed separation to see the forest from the trees, and um, and and really, I really worked out what you know, what my why I'm, you know, why performing is one of the reasons why I'm on this planet, um, and why you know, sharing music and song and stories and um, and my soul and what lives in me and communicating that through that vehicle is is why I'm. You know, it's what my path is. So yeah, it uh, it took some crisis, travel or crisis. <laughs> you know, so yeah, there were there were you know one of many shit times, and you know I've had um, you know my own demons and you know mental health stuff with it, as many artists do. So like you know you see it's um you see all the the highlight reels on websites and social media and stuff, and uh, I try and communicate other things too. Yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing and, and for opening up on that. I'd, is there is there a time within your whole career that outside of work and, and on your 
personal life that you really were, you know, you mentioned battling behind the scenes and um, was there a time, what, or what was the, the point where you were just like, I just need to stop? Like, if you if you don't mind sharing. Uh, after after hairspray, I, I needed to step away from it. As I said, for multiple reasons, living away from my, my partner at the time and um, and just not feeling the love for it anymore. Like, like I feel like I was in it for the wrong reasons and they were really just generally ego-based reasons, you know, to climb the ladder, to have more success, to be more known, to like all that sort of shit. Um, and I just was, was burnt out and, I, you know, that's when I started having panic attacks and that kind of stuff. My anxiety was was really high um, and um, I didn't really have the tools in my armour, the knowledge um, to, to deal with that sort of stuff. Um, but I also had high levels of pride and ego that, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't rest. And so, I, like, I saw a therapist, but I guess that, that pride and ego was helpful in one way because it, it meant that I go, you know what, I'm struggling and I know that I'm going to be the one who sorts this out. Yeah. You know, so that was helpful in one way. But I have in time gone this, you know, one's mental health isn't something that they should uh, tackle alone. But to start with, I tackled it alone. I did a lot of like meditation and going inward and working out that sort of stuff, which I still do. And, mm. and um, you know, that's a deep part of my life and a part of my life that I want to share with, with people because I know that um, this situation of mental health pandemic and whatever is only worse now than I think it was five years ago. So not just, not, it's not just more in the conversation. I generally think it's actually worse. There's more stress, more anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mate, I had lots of instances. So it's not just like one thing. It's, it's, uh, it's the multiple ups and downs of it. And I think that comes from a career that you feel like you're worth is so based on what you do rather than who you are. Yeah. And so when you're not in the doing, so when you're between contracts, you know, you might have this great role in Cats for me, you know, win an award, blah, 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 blah. And then the show finishes and then what am I doing? Yeah. I've gone from eight shows a week and feeling that high and whatever to like nothing for a bit. Mm. And yeah, you like there's that, the self-worth thing comes up. So it's tackling that shit too. And a lot of that was about going in wooden. So, yeah, I guess I'm sort of pressing on lots of little points here, but if people tell you it's all glamour and glitz and joy and up and ascension, then um, they're smoke and crack. Because <laughs> it's a roller coaster. Until you separate yourself from the roller coaster and actually look at it and go witness your own life, I think you'll always be doing that. And that separation, te- those techniques to do that, whatever they are, meditation or whatever it is for you, enables you to sort of see it all as like i'm gonna have my highs i'm gonna have my lows i'm gonna have the in-betweens like all of it's all you know like rona this too shall pass sort of thing yes it will and i guess this is probably an outside looking in perspective but more broadly i think so many people i think nearly everyone defines themselves a lot by like what they do by their work you know i mean it all it's almost like the way you ask that question it's you know in, like if you're meeting someone from the first time it's almost after saying hello it's almost the first thing you ask them is like what do yeah, you do for work? Do for work not like what do you do for fun who are you what do you value any of that sort of stuff so I 100% get that like get that perspective and and yeah and I guess so to shrink that thought in 
for us, I guess, on the outside looking into your your, your world, as far as in your work world, it, it obviously it seems like there's a lot of emphasis placed upon that, and I feel like it would be a particularly turbulent, you know, um, sort of uh, working environment to be able to be trying to work through that shit. And so many people would be mirroring those exact feelings that you're sort of uh, that you've mentioned. I want to ask because. Um, I I listened to a chat that you had some time ago that was talking about your ambassador work with Entertainment Assist, the organisation. Um, I so yeah, I mean it's obviously still pretty pretty green to me. I've, I've had a little bit of a look at it, but I'm really interested in that, and would love to sort of get your thoughts on on that, and and then I guess more broadly on yeah on how this stuff, how you found you know that. The, the mental health journey within that entertainment industry as well and how you've seen it for others too. Yeah, well, um, thanks for looking at that stuff firstly and for um, acknowledging the importance of it. I, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, the work that Entertainment Assist do is just, um, I mean, people can look at their their website, Google them, but what Entertainment Assist is doing is shining a light on the, um, the mental health struggles that, that people in the arts face and and the statistics are all there and I don't need to go into how um, devastating some of those statistics are around um, depression and suicide and and whatnot but we need organizations like entertainment assist to actually really be the you know the focal point for people to have when they're feeling like that they go ah someone not it's not just a an umbrella organization that deals with mental health this is something specific to my craft and to what I do, and these people really get me. Um, so that's that's what they are, and, and I'm a proud ambassador of, of, of that. Through your ambassador work, is there sort of, yeah, I mean, I guess anything in particular or just sort of, you know, has how is that, how has being that ambassador, I guess, sort of informed your opinion and, your, and the way you view that more broadly? Because obviously you've had these experiences yourself, but then to be able to see it in, uh, you know, as across an industry and across such a big community must be a bit of a like a pretty eye-opening thing too. It, it is, uh, but the thing is, I was well aware of it because I went, you know, the, the thing about your own stuff is that you can become quite selfish about you know your own issues that you might be facing, and um, and what's a wonderful thing to acknowledge is that um, the human condition is to suffer. So, if I, you know, that's just a part of being human. So if I'm going through this, chances are so many people around me in this cast, in this company, also experiencing similar things. So what what it's sort of enabled me to do is um, go deeper into embodying practices um, to lead by example and to deal with with this stuff, to acknowledge that this is going on everywhere. Um, and if, if people want to reach out to me, um, you know, I, I feel like I've done a lot of work in, in my personal journey to dealing with this and um, hopefully the practices that I embody um, can help people. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm always there for people to reach out for me, my DMs or for my mates. Texts are always open. Like I, I, really, I really try and be an advocate for openness, um, not just in the way I speak, but in the fence that I, I leave ajar or open to my heart for this sort of stuff um and then you know um uh, honestly it's it's anything that entertainment assists really need me to do in that that space when and where i can and that's that's my role
hundred percent, man. Oh, so I think embodiment is the is the biggest part of it. Um, that that's something I really value in other leaders, and I look at it in sporting fields and in politics and whatever. And I watch the leaders who embody the things that they really value. Don't just talk shit about it. Actually, live that truth, and they're the ones that I admire. You um you make a really good point as well about uh like the the focus and I guess the sort of like zeroing in on something that might be specific to the people say like in your industry that are experiencing and going through the same sort of stuff. And because, you know, the whole spectrum of mental health is obviously so broad and, and, you know, we all receive input and, and deal with it in different ways. So like being able to have something that is a little more tailored or a little bit more specific to you, I think is super valuable. And it was like, I mean, it was probably the first conversation that Liam and I really had about doing this, you know, as by way of, you know, focusing on, on men's mental health. And, you know, like the first little red flag was like, well, oh shit, like we don't want it to seem like that this is just boys club and, you know, like no girls allowed sort of stuff because that's not, that's not beneficial. That's not at all what it is. But for us to be able to, you know, narrow that focus and to make it a conversation that is obviously, you know, relevant to us as, as males and, and as people that have, you know, that have had our own little mental health, uh, you know, ups and downs in our journeys, it's, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit in that, 100%. Yeah. Oh, right. Couldn't agree more. And, and interesting you use the word boys club. And it sort of goes back to what I was trying to, um, to you know, shine a light on earlier about boy, boy men, yeah. you know, yeah. boy. And, and I do really feel like and, and this is some of the work that I've I've done in, in this in this space courses I've attended and whatnot um you know we live in a society where boys initiate boys you know especially in sports culture you know if we're not on the field we're out we're doing the centurion and we're all doing a hundred shots in a hundred minutes and that's your initiation process of boys initiating boys but tribal life wasn't that tribal life had men initiating boys, men who've experienced, men who've endured, men who knew what it was to be a man. And it was more than just one man who initiated a boy. It was many, many men of a tribe taking a boy on and taking him into the, into the woods, into the challenges, facing um, real, real darkness, i.e., you know, potential life-threatening situation, you know, and, and dealing with crisis and dealing with travel away from the home. You know, and this is why I keep saying crisis and travel. Um, and so I feel like as a society, we've, we've given a lot of um, time and we, we put a lot of, <laughs> I guess, our, our, our focus and our, our commitment into, into men who don't know how to be men um, and, and haven't done the work on, on being men. And the fact that they're afraid to have these conversations, so many men are afraid to have these conversations about their own shit is testament to the society that we're in that perpetuates this um theory of what it means to be a man this false bravado this you know it's just boys that's what boys do um big ego driven shit yeah the barrier of entry is not quite what it used to be i guess and you're absolutely right and depressing as as like as pessimistic as you could interpret that you know being I also, and I'm sure you do as well, like, and especially you being the person you are and obviously being so, you know, pretty well in tune with all of this stuff, like that idea of, you know, boys initiating boys and and the way that that is sort of perpetuated in society, I think 
to see incremental change and to see little mm. little steps in the positive direction becomes like, uh, yeah, I guess we both probably take a lot of solace in that, which is really, which is a good thing to see as well. And I'm not just trying to blow rainbows up it for the sake of it. Like I, it is. No, 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 no. There are positive things and I've, and I've found them and I want to be the, um, you know, I want to be, in a, be a bit of a light in this darkness of space, but, in, but unless we show the darkness, we can't shine a light on it. It's very true. That's true. Men who I've spoken to creating WhatsApp groups between themselves that were WhatsApp groups that used to just be sharing bullshit and footy scores and nude pics and whatever and now WhatsApp groups of, hey, mate, how are you actually doing? I know it's been a fucking rough week for you. Hey, hey, how are you coping with this whole lockdown thing? How are you actually feeling? I'm here. I hold space for you. I hear you. I'm, I'm here to listen to you as, as your mate because I love you, you know, yeah. and... That those conversations that are starting to happen in a in the twenties and thirty year old men is is testament to to little light shiners everywhere. Mm. It's happening all over the place, and it's a shift. And um, it's a shift that I I'm so happy to be a part of, and I implore more men to explore that. One thing that I when I think about it in in my own personal experiences mm. is. You're absolutely right, the boys to boys sort of thing. And I, I believe that my, my dad taught me the best to be the best person I could be. And it was just my interpretation of what that was that was wrong, if that makes sense. So he'd say something and I'd be like, no, I can't get off it, mate, whatever. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But it wasn't until I, I feel like after having experienced, you know, the lows of lows of where I was and, and then fighting the solace in talking to people and, and learning to understand how I was feeling and and the coping mechanisms, like you said, like the meditation and the all those other strategies that we, we now know work for ourselves. Mm. I feel like I'm a better person now having have gone through those experiences and learned those lessons oh, along the way. Totally. So, so much fuller. I mean, I oh, couldn't agree with you with you more, mate, and so much more compassionate and empathetic and understanding of other people's pains, the the love that I have in you know in my heart for for humanity, um, for nature, and the gratitude that I have for life is 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 just being blown up. Yeah. Um, so you know, crises and and um, and darkness and experiencing the shadow self as one would want to describe it um are all inevitabilities of a of a man or a woman's life yeah Yeah. and if we try and suppress it uh i think we're living a half life Mm. you know having so many people now go it's okay to talk and and seeing that that change in in the the boys clubs and even you just mentioning before the whatsapp group that you know has changed from the footy group to the check on your mate sort of group like that that rung true to me so much just then um a couple of days ago even in our in our little the boys group um there's a quite a prominent ex-AFL footballer put up quite a scary post about his, his life at the moment and you know it was reading it looking at it, it wasn't a cry for help it was a you know it was a suicide note sort of thing and and reading it just shocked me and then to see the boys group light up and you know like hey guys you know just letting you know i'm here for you rather than taking the mickey or talking about something else they put 
they put it to the front and and we all mm. there was you know I think there's like twenty odd people in this in this group chat and nearly every single one of them sent a message through saying I'm here for you if you ever need to talk you know and to see that change in in my friends as well and and Muff's friends we you know obviously have a lot of the same friends and and to see mm. it happening and um it's been it's been amazing and mate that is the most beautiful shit yeah it's cool. Yeah, I'm so happy that that like that that actually <laughs> makes me well up because it's that is yeah that's the, that's brotherhood yeah. you know yeah. 20, yeah. 20 mates or ten mates reaching out to each other and saying I love you is one of the most profound things that we can have in this society because we can talk shit to the cows come home yeah, and there's yeah. nothing yeah. wrong with talking shit it needs to be a balance of both like you want to talk about what's happening in, in trade week or free agency or whatever others footy shit's coming out but you want to have a, a balance of of the of the sort of crumbs of life and the depth of life you know clearly has been a shift mm. in in our conversations over the past you know two years or three years within the boys and and mm. it's yeah it is really empowering to see that it's not always us leading the charge in the conversation now you know like a couple that might have been really quiet on the topic of, of mental health or, you know, loving your friends a year or two or three ago, my, or, you know, minus those 12 beers deep, I love you sort of thing, <laughs> to see them taking charge taking charge in their emotions and their and the way they express their feelings as well towards their friends and their fathers and their brothers. And, yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really cool to see the, the shift in, in our friendship circles, I guess, um, dynamic, yeah. I think it's um, it makes me excited to it makes me think like I would love to jump forward like twenty five years or twenty years so like just like jump a generation yeah and like what the flow on effect of this changing attitude towards mental health is actually going to look like for you know the you know the proceeding like the generations after us and yeah. and even just people in our circles that yeah. and and even us being so much better at you know communicating about all this stuff i just think there's no way it isn't going to be overwhelmingly positive and yeah i don't know it makes me pretty excited and i'm sure like josh you'd be exactly the same with all your circle as well i can imagine 100 percent, mate and awareness builds awareness and that's all we're trying to create here is a sense of like as light workers which are that's what we are shining lights on these conversations and these things through our own experiences um we're creating awareness around it self-awareness and then greater awareness and and they're like little little pools of light that build and as they build more and more suddenly it becomes a big pool of light and then this sort of light takes over the space mm. and um and that's what we're 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 trying to do so you know if we've got 10 or 20 whatsapp groups of of 20 men that can very quickly become 10,000 WhatsApp groups of 20,000. So that's what I'm interested in to see. And what app are we going to be using? Beamed into each other's <laughs> brains with like fucking, we'll Those see like it like the, yeah, 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 the Robocop scrolling <laughs> feed in our eyeballs or some shit. Who knows? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, if anyone must has anything to do with it, yeah. <laughs> Josh, I'd love to jump back to uh, you. You mentioned about uh, updating the Insta bio. And could you do me a favor, if you can remember that little list that you had off the top again? Could you reel that off again? Creativity. Yeah. Consciousness. 
Yeah. Nature, meditation, movement. Epic. I think, and and befitting, you know, like the some of the uh, chat we've had so far about, you know, that separate identity to just what it is that you do, you know, as opposed to who you are. I think it'd be really cool to sort of jump into a couple of those. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess I've got to, yeah, be be lying if I was didn't say that I wasn't most interested in the nature one of those. That's um that's obviously you know something that stands pretty close to to Murph and I's heart as well. So what's I mean obviously since you know leaving the paradise of Australia and setting up stumps in foggy London towns, see you know it's like how do you where do you find the joy in in nature and how does that sort of fit into yeah into making up a little bit of a little bit of Josh? Yeah, well I'm a Scorpio, so I'm a water sign, so I'm you know, if I want to go balls deep in that stuff, I need to be near water or else I don't feel complete. Um, and I need to keep getting to it. Um, and, uh, you know, living in London, being so far away from it, you know, I had this, this journey during the start. Well, when we opened up a bit here in, in June, we went down to, um, Cornwall, which is five hours away from, from London, beautiful, like gorgeous beaches. And literally the first (laughs) was, literally the first walk I had wasn't a beach it was just a rocky sort of area I just said fuck it it was just like close off just dive straight in I don't care how cold it's like I'm like I've needed you you've been missing from my life for the past year and I have felt incomplete because of it um and so how I managed to tackle that in London was getting to the parks a lot going barefoot a lot so like just making sure I reconnect to um the earth and yeah, just be, being as close to nature as possible. Like, I mean, um, people go, "You, this guy's absolutely chronic batshit. But like, I literally do hug trees. I'll look at them and, and I'm like, you are life source. I'm hugging because I'm thanking him. I'm like, I would not exist if it wasn't for you. And if you watch that great new David Attenborough documentary that's, that's come out, Life on Our Planet, like, you know, if you think that you are separate from nature, it's the reason why this world is so fucked up. You are of it. Mm, so, yeah. like, be thankful for that which you are of. It gives you life, you know. Um, so, you know, it changes your mood. Like, if you're not if you're not really into that stuff, or whatever. But tell me the last time you went and saw a sunset by the beach, and you weren't deeply affected by it. Didn't make calm you down. Didn't make you feel amazing. Didn't gobsmack you. Like, this is nature is our medicine. And it's not like that. You know, this like nature is therapy is some airy fairy, you know, idea. It's not like a multi-level marketing campaign, like selling essential oils or some shit. It's, it's literally documented. You know what I mean? Like we had, you know, we were lucky enough to chat to a, um, like a neuropsychiatrist, um, here he's a Kiwi guy, Dr. Kieran, best looking doctor in Melbourne. What a handsome man. Very handsome man. And he, um, and he, yeah, he was, he would say, you know, he would tell us like this stuff isn't, pseudoscience it's there's literally not non-stop research being done on it and it is just such a definitive connection between positive mindset improved mental health even improved just overall health Mm. and being outdoors you know and and being in nature so yeah Yeah. in japan they they uh force you i think to do nature therapy before they'll give you um antidepressants wow wow yeah that's um that's a part that's a part of the, the the therapy so get get into nature first and if that doesn't work for you you know whereas i feel like in a western world of 
pharmaceutical love. It's mm. like, if you're feeling a bit down, take these ones, buddy. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, yeah, and look, you know, there is like, and I, you know, I guess like we've spoken a bit about this, you know, through these as well, through these podcasts as well. And there's obviously, yeah, like there's a place for all of that as well. But yeah. 100%. Yeah, for it to be the only crutch that you lean on is, um, yeah, it's perhaps, yeah. Or the first point of call or not being educated on all the other things that could help you that that um, that you'll benefit from in so many other ways, you know. Um, not just your own personal health, shared experiences, you know, like going out with your mates to, to, for a swim is a great, you know, and then, and then have a meal. Like, that's a great day out, you know, so it's not just... And I mean, if that if that hasn't been highlighted in 2020, that like how important human connection is, I mean, far out, you know, that's that's the headline, right, of the whole bloody year. Yeah, and connection to nature because some people, have, you know, with where they live in in Melbourne and and the restrictions place couldn't do that. I know my sister said to me like, you know, I was throwing some some pictures of you know when we moved down here, how close we were to the ocean and me and my partner Lottie having swims and whatever and um my sister was like the first thing I'm doing once they ease these 5k restrictions is getting to the water oh I know we're all um I know absolute d-grade surfer but I'm just hanging out to go to be able to <laughs> to take it to have a surf just to oh, get in the water the last time I got went out for a surf was we had about a week week and a half off of restrictions back in like June I think it was, or end of June, and I, we had a, I got a weekend down the coast, and I got in for one surf, and it was crap, but it was just had to get a surf in, and now I'm just hanging out to do the same mm. thing. I don't care. And that, uh, but isn't that great that like we get to a point that I love that, mate. That that's what that's what you're hanging out for. Whereas, you know, in in the other version of society, like this crisis has has really placed a value on what's truly important to us, what is actually essential. You know, like it's not, oh, I can't wait to go shopping for that new handbag or that new pair of shoes. I'm busting for those Nike kicks. It's, I just can't wait to get out there amongst the elements and, and you know, experience what nature has to offer. That's yeah, you realise realize yeah. what you're missing. For yeah, sure. that's absolutely right. Um, I wouldn't mind asking, I guess, maybe more of a practical sort of version of this question, but you like mentioning meditation, which is um, which is always such an interesting one. What's your, and I'm, I'm sure it might chop and change um, depending on, on how the day is going and stuff, but what does your meditation practice look like in, in sort of, yeah, like a tangible version of it? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a wake up and have a, have a med, um, 15, 20 minutes um, when I get up. And, um, you know, I've used various techniques. Um, um, I'm just about to graduate from, as a teacher, in uh, in, a, in Aussie organisations meditation technique called the One Giant Mind Being technique, which is great. People can look that up. There's an app for it, and mm-hmm. they can get in touch with me. If they want to know more about it. Um, but that served me brilliantly. So I start with with one bit of journaling, and that's when after that, then I get out and do some movement. Um, and then middle late later in the day, sort of three, four, five p.m. You know, depending on what time I got up, um, but before dinner. So, and a similar time, 15, 20 minutes, sometimes a little longer, depending on it, but that's, um, that's it. So twice a day. Yeah. Solid. And would you like, and pretty consistently, like it's obviously sounds like something that it's, uh, yeah, that you're, uh, that has served you really well. So it's probably become a pretty good habit over time. 
yeah, about 18 months ago, a uh, guy who I really um, value in this space um, posed the idea to me that I discontinue calling it routine or habit and start calling it ritual. Okay, interesting. And once it became a ritual, it became sort of sacred. Yeah. And it was it was far more valuable to me. It's got power, doesn't it? Like you you don't you don't speak to someone and go, you know, what's your ritual do? It's like what 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 do you have it? What what's a what's a bad habit? You know, like it's never Yeah. What's that one really powerful thing that you do that you hold so true to you sort of thing? It's a, it is a strong word. Yeah, really strong. And there's devotion to ritual and discipline to ritual. And these are sort of the ways of the warrior, you know, like the sort of archetype of man that I, I aspire to be. Um, it is devoted, it is discipline, and, and ritual all plays into that. It's a deeper value, you know. So, um, you know, I pose that to, to people again. It's so great when you get a share from someone that changes you immensely and, and you take them up on that and you see the benefits of it and then get put in a position where you get to share that share. You guys meditate a lot? Um, look, I I give myself like a 6 out of 10. I do. I have a um, just like a, a guided meditation. You know, I found uh, Headspace seems to be the one that I can stick with the most of. I think for me, definitely meditation is something that I know I can trust in when I need to, like when I'm really, when I'm on the wrong path or if I'm struggling, I know that that's what, it can, that's what sets me back to zero and, and lets me go again sort of thing. So at, at the moment, I can honestly say I haven't meditated for a, probably a couple of months. I just, I, I do it more on a needs basis, I feel like, rather than it as a ritual, I feel like, you know what, mm. I need to reset now and then I'll get into it. Um I, I use, I've used Headspace in the past as well, but the one one thing that really worked for me was the just a simple um, square breathing technique the psychologist put me on too. It's so simple, but it's really good for getting the parasympathetic nervous system. Absolutely, and it's one that that's that's a big thing for me. And that you know, four seconds on, four seconds off, four seconds on, four seconds off of breathing, and then. You know, I could do that for maybe two minutes and then I feel like I am just ready to go. Absolute reset, that that stuff. I, you know, you know what, it's, it's interesting you guys say that, so I'll challenge you to um, in this to, to meditate for 60 days straight and see how you go. But, um, you know, we're always going to have demands that are posed upon us, yeah. whether they're relationship demands, work demands, uh, societal demands, Rona, whatever they are, mm. and we need tools that um, are resources and capabilities to meet those demands. And if we don't, the demands, of, which are stresses, outweigh our capabilities and rules because we're not going to, you know. And so that goes into a little bit of anxiety. That goes into some more severe stress and might go into uh, a mental health illness or another physical illness, you know, or you get to a point where those demands are so much that, you um, that we have a serious, you know, mental health breakdown or physical health breakdown. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm going to challenge you guys that rather than just take it on when on a needs basis, when those demands are heavy. Yeah. Take, take it on when, when it's just about the balancing game that I'm always going to have demands, but I've always got these resources and capabilities of meditation or nature or whatever it is to just meet them. And I just play that 
I just dance between the two in this sort of beautiful middle ground. Mm, I like that. I like that challenge. And you know what? I'm going to... You're, you're about to graduate, you said, as, as a meditation teacher. So I'm going to put the challenge to you that you have to give us a guided meditation as one of your first official duties. <laughs> student one and student two. We'll, uh, we'll be first to sign up for the course. There you go. There you go. There's going to be an intro talk in a couple of weeks. I think I'm planning my first course for, uh, I think it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 20th, 21st, 22nd of November. DM me if you want to learn a technique that is epic and easy to learn and easy to stick with. That's what I like about it. I think a lot of people get caught up with like, oh, it's too hard or I, you know, um, I couldn't keep it up. Um, My thoughts were going, I can't stop my thoughts. All these sort of questions. Here's a technique. You actually can't do it wrong. So, yeah, there you go. There's There's my pitch. Is my elevator pitch. Yeah. I'm so, yeah, yeah. I'm so old. So, no, that's awesome. Josh, you've just challenged us to a, a, a 60-day meditation. <laughs> um, I'd like to put a legitimate challenge to you and lead in maybe with a question or a statement from us in, in that it's an exercise that we have found so worthy um, and something really I guess changed my life was inspired by um, Martin Heppel at the Resilience Project, who has been a guest on the Men of Words show before, um, and it's it's calling your best mate and, and telling him you love him. But before I challenge you to do that, I'd like to know, and you probably already answered it previously, but mm. when was the last time you you said to one of your best male friends that you love them? Not after you know bulk beers on on the town or, you know, just sitting down and, and genuinely saying, you know, I love you and this is why. Maybe a couple of days. I do it. I do it often. Yeah. You know what? Actually, one of the most beautiful moments in, in my life happened recently was in a men's circle and we were dealing with some pretty heavy stuff and I think it was 19 men. Um, it was on Zoom, so don't, don't worry, government. <laughs> all said to each other, this was last week, all said to each other, um, openly and from a from a real sincere and genuine place, I love you, brother. I love you, brother. I, and it was the most. Um, I want to live in a world where that is common. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was like, yeah, I I didn't realize until that moment. And that's why I can talk about it so easily here. Um, that that's that's. Uh, that was a defining moment in my life because it, it, it made me realise how much that's what I want for this world. I, I would have to agree and, and mirror that sentiment that it, a world where, you know, we're pushing forward in time and, and I'm a dad and I, if I have a son and I can and say to him, you know, mate, I love you, and for him to never f- be afraid to say back to me, I love you too, dad, or, mm. you know, talk, yeah. hear him say to his mates, that, you know, hang up the phone and say, all right, cool, I love you, mate. You know, that's yeah. that's the world and that's... That's how, you know, that changed my life when I first heard Martin talk about this phone call thing and then when I did it and realised how, yeah, the feelings of me saying it and then of them going, of my friend going, you know, thank you, like, yeah, it's a pretty special place. So I, I mirror your sentiment. That's the world we want to live in for sure. So I got a call, mate? Yeah, let's do it. Shall we? So I'm calling my best mate, Todd Strike who's another 
singer actor who I actually met um, in the Ten Tenors, two thousand and eight. Yeah, he's a he's a special man, amazing amazing man with an amazing heart. So um, get it up. Here we go. Striker. Hello. Hey, bro. How are you? Good. What's going on? Nothing much, man. I'm just um, chatting to Muff and Murph on uh, on their podcast. Um, Muff and Murph, yes. <laughs> and um, a part of a part of this call is actually one of the most beautiful things. That their, their podcast is called Men of Words, um, and a part of it is something that I know that you'll really like: is to call your best mate and tell them that you love them. And I feel like it's something that we do a lot. So it's not going to be particularly difficult for me to say that to you. But, <laughs> yeah, true. but I want to tell you why I love you. And I love you because um, you are one of the most patient, non-judgmental, open-hearted, kind, uh, willing to go out of your way um, men that I've ever met in my life. You are the best, absolute best friend uh, a man could could ask for. And I know I'm missing a lot of things, but, um, you know, I really love you for the man you are and the friendship that we have. It's beautiful. Oh, thanks, bro. That's so lovely. It's, um, yeah, it's me teary hearing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm tearing up too, mate, because I, I care about you. Do I say the same back? You can say whatever you like, buddy. <laughs> okay, it's just like, okay, you're trying to tell me now. <laughs> <laughs> now you tell me first. Yeah, no, you go. No, you go. Oh, bro, yeah, I feel uh, very much, um, uh, you know, echo that very much towards you. You you not only embody those things, but I've seen you really grow since I met you back in the 10 tenor days and um um you know we both come from a uh, uh an ego-based um uh, background um and certainly through sport and through upbringing and stuff but uh and also in performing i think we worry you know a lot back then about certain little things and um to see you grow beyond that has been a great joy yeah very much and and it's um, inspiring. You're very, you know, you're one of the most inspiring and hardworking, um, affectionate, open uh, people I know. You also have just, again, you've got countless hours for people, but you're really also really good at um, knowing your boundaries too. You've got a great self-love for people, but you've got a great self-love for yourself. And that that's what makes you so... Uh, and people draw to you. I think you've got this sense of um, certainly what I what, I, what brings you know our, our friendship goes deeper than um, what a lot of people see. But uh, I don't think people know how to quantify or qualify you, um, and that certainly is a strength that you project to the world. And it's really assuring and inspiring, and and um, it's it's amazing to be around. Aside from that that surf, not surface, but whatever people see, for me, you, you've always been there. You give me tough love and I certainly need that um, a lot of the time, but you're also willing to 
listen to me say the same thing. It's almost schizophrenic. <laughs> like the way that I say stuff to you, like schizophrenic. So it's uh, it's one of those things where you know you just keep going. Yep, yep, heard it, and I'm going to give you the same advice. But you have got endless amounts of energy for that, and I love you for that. And I also love your your uh, your patience, your insight, and your your vulnerability. I think is a really big thing that we don't see in a lot of um, men these days, especially people, but men. And you're willing to be vulnerable. You're willing to, you know, admit when you're wrong and stand up when you're right. And you know, and and that is a beautiful thing. And I love you very much for it. Oh, mate, that was beautiful. I love that I was supposed to call you and tell you this, but the mark of the man is that he just flips it back, like absolute mark of this human that we're, I'm talking about, guys, that he's just, you know, he, he, he is that, that guy that, like, so, so giving that even when he's receiving, he, you know, feels this urge to give. Beautiful man. I love you, striker. Oh, yeah, I love you too, mate. And um, are we on air? Are we, we're, we're on. We are on live air. Wow. Like. <laughs> yeah, that's the beautiful thing uh, about I'm it. Put my, uh, put my voice on. Mate, love you, buddy. Love you too. Have a great night or Thanks, day mate. or whatever it is. Yeah. All right, we'll speak soon. Speak soon, mate. You're a champ. Okay. Bye. 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 There you go, guys. Jesus. Mate. I, I, yeah, I. Oh my god! I usually <laughs> offer a round of applause to to people when they do this thing, but I'm at that much of a like that. I feel I actually feel emotional listening to that because that was, without doubt, one of the most beautiful exchanges I've witnessed. You know, even yeah, I, I don't, I'm actually at a loss for words. I don't like. I want to give you a clap, but I know that. This should be this should be normal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And yet, I'll never take it. I'll never normalize it and take it for granted. It's always going to be that that um, that balance between between those two things. Because um, yeah, I, it's interesting to to hear Tony Tony speaks and said he's just um, yeah the he's he's such an open human that the way he would talk about. The woman he loves is no different to the way he talks about the man he he befriends. Yeah, like what an amazing, what an amazing man. And uh, yeah, I, I, my father, you, I mean, you can probably, you can probably speak, say the words that I'm struggling to say right now, <laughs> and the fact that, you know, the, this began as an idea for for us to incorporate into our podcast to to bring about some vulnerability and and to to help our guests sort of feel that that thrill of of getting that off their chest to their mates for the first time but but it's so clear that it's such a normal part of your life and and for the fact like you like you said that that Todd just sort of turned around and you know gave it straight back to you in in such a beautiful raw open way you know you usually we would say like you know hang up the phone just give them a blast and that's it but that was yeah that was in, incredible Thank you for sharing that. That was, yeah. I think it really speaks to you guys as mates as well because listening to him when he was saying all that amazing stuff about you, I feel like he nearly just hit every single point that we've spoken about for the last hour, you know? Like he's obviously 
gets you you know and you guys are obviously such good mates that you both understand each other that well and he's effectively i mean he's almost bullet pointed the chat that we've had which is incredible like that is honestly amazing you know, was- yeah and that's and isn't that what friendship should be about you know we talk about surface level but like to have a mate who understand what go understands what what's going on in your heart and what's going on in your soul you know to 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 really understand you and to still choose to be a friend. Unbelievable, man. Yeah. Unbelievable. Don't need a lot of them in our lives, but, you know, got a few of them. It's um, it's going to be a good life. I don't know what to do. What to say. I'm, yeah, I'm That's choked up. But look at what you're creating, guys. You're creating a, plat- a platform. Like, this is, this is incredible what you guys are doing. And, and um, that's why I was so keen to, to jump on. And when you mentioned what, you know, this thing about the phone call, I was like, so this, that's stu- stunning. It's beautiful. And the fact that, you know, you guys are real light workers with this stuff. That's what you're doing. You are spreading this, this beautiful brotherhood that should be, um, you know, should be really valued. You're, you're spreading it in, in, in such an important way. And we've got to give, we all have to give mega thanks for, for that. So. Yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, nothing but gratitude on our yeah. end as well, Josh, yeah, yeah. mate. It really is. Um, it's just incredible. And it's so reassuring and reaffirming of, I mean, not just of like what I guess we were hoping to be able to to have some impact on by even starting the podcast, but it's just reaffirming in meeting people for the first time. I mean, mm-hmm. we met, you know, an hour and 25 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if three blokes are willing to be, you know, that open and that vulnerable and have that conversation, even with somebody that you don't know and we do our best to understand and empathise with each other. I mean, yeah, it's just such a positive step and, you know, this just alludes to all of that so much and, yeah, that's it. A f- nice full heart to finish off the uh, finish off the day today, which is awesome. Thanks, Guy. Really just a pleasure to be a part of it. You know, these are the conversations I want to be having in the world, so thank you for... Um giving me uh, an opportunity to, to, to have them with you. I, I want to shoot that thank you straight back to you because, like you said, you know, I, I reached out after after Millsy nominated yourself and, I, I like Matt said, it's, it's really cool to to have the ability to, to converse with someone on such a raw level so quickly. Maybe maybe a great way to, to segue to... Your to nominate asking you for some nominations for some future future conversations as well. Um, yeah, well, first and foremost, you can chat to Todd Strike because clearly he's a great. Oh, player. I tell you what, yeah. I'm gonna be Wigan yeah. Murph and I will be <laughs> sneaking in his DMs. We want a best mate in Todd Strike, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> uh, Stephen Stephen May is another is another friend of mine. Um, I, I started a um a. Uh, a little WhatsApp group with him and, and another chap, Mike Snell, um, another chap, Paul Reichstein. We, you know, we meditated together and then I had to depart for, you know, London waters and, um, and we kept the group going. We called it the Medi Men and, and it's, it was that well, exactly what we're talking about, a WhatsApp group to check in on each other and, and share, share stuff. So um, I, I, Stephen is a good, great man to chat to. Um, but finally, probably, um, you know, I see this man as my, as my, my Yoda, my guru, um, you know, he's taught me the, some of the most beautiful lessons in, in life. Um, he's uh, the head of meditation Australia, a guy by the name of Asher Packman. And um, I mean, <laughs> he, this is one of the, the greatest living men that I know, probably is the greatest living man I know. 
That's awesome. Hopefully, we'll be uh, hopefully we'll be a few weeks into our sixty day challenge as well when we hit him up. So we'll have some uh, have some common ground, which is exciting. <laughs> I yeah, I have nothing but gratitude for for you um, to take the time that you have to to chat with us. And in all honesty, I'm I'm hoping that we can keep in touch between the three of us, and in hope that the international flights become a thing again. And, and, <laughs> they are. I'm I'm back in Australia on the 30th of November. Uh, Melbourne via Brisbane for a few weeks, bit of quarantining and a bit of work there, and then I'll be I'll be home for Christmas. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Been waiting, been waiting the whole chat for a little bit uh, for a few bars. So I'm glad. <laughs> you got about five words. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's awesome. Oh, well, look, I mean, Murph, that's probably a pretty good place to wrap it up, eh? Look, Josh, I think, um, yeah, I mean, we're just, gratitude's just going to keep coming pouring out, mate. We are just beyond grateful for the chat and, and for the nominations. And we're just, yeah, um, for you being who you are and being so open and honest with us in this chat has just been, yeah, really, really, really inspiring. And, and honestly, in you know, for, for Murph and I, just before we sort of jumped on the call, we both even said we were just that little bit apprehensive. We have been sort of a little slow on the in podcast world and we haven't had, you know, some of these conversations mm. for a little while and this is just reaffirmed to no end that, you know, this is exactly where we want to be and exactly the conversations we want to be having. So, yeah, big, big ups to you, man. Beautiful, lads. Again, thanks for having me. Mega gratitude to you both. Murph? Hey, it's been a while between doing this, so I better give it a crack. Yeah, let's see <laughs> it. Here we go. Are you ready? Hit me. This has been the Meta Words podcast where the little conversations make the biggest difference. Boom.